another being, another person, I think that's a, that may be a stretch. I mean, people, if they believe that, that's fine. I mean, for me, that's not the way I view the existence of this higher power. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing willing to go there. read that button. So we are nearing the end of our Explore God series, having tackled such, a lar- such large and weighty topics as, is there a God? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? And in fact, we have to lean upon these previous lessons, especially the one on re- Bible's reliability, as truth. All the best truth layers on top of other truth, right? The way that floors just stack on buildings or flavors add to uh, just our enjoyment of what we eat. And uh, so today's question, can I really know God, is the pivotal question that we need to ask ourselves. And so let us turn to the Lord and in prayer, asking that He would be the one who reveals the answer. Father in heaven, We come to you right now, having sung all these songs about knowing you and being known by you and that relationship with you, how wonderful it is, how it reveals who you are, your character, your goodness, your loving kindness, your faithfulness. But this is still a question we need to ask because we need to hear the answer again every day. What is is the answer? Can I really know you? Holy Spirit, work in me and all my brothers and sisters so that we can come to the glad conclusion, the answer to that question. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the question, can I really know God? And it's knowing God, not about God. Um, You know, just I've made no... I've hidden it, I've never hidden it. My favorite foods in the world are pizza and soup dumplings, Shanghai soup dumplings. And if you have never bitten into the unctuous gooeyness of a New York slice of pizza with that cheese stretching off the crust as you pull the slice away from your mouth, or if you've never bit into the overflowing richness of a Shanghai soup dumpling, you have no relationship with these things. They are just words to you until you taste and you see and you experience. Same thing goes for people. We just had Valentine's Day yesterday, right? I did nothing. Just laying it out there. Nothing. Um, But I love my wife, whom I have been married to for 12 years. And the only thing that I wish I could have more of is wish that we had had more time together. One of my recurring fantasies is that I wish just I could, one of those movies, like just wake up as 21-year-old Martin with what I know now 
and then finagle, knowing what I know about Kim and where she's going to be, to start the relationship sooner and to go to her, you know, just, uh, just right out of Columbia as she's working and, while, and me driving down from Boston at my first Air Force assignment, drive down and use the line that was so effective in getting, me, in getting her for me in this timeline. I want you to be my girlfriend. Now what would happen? True story. Because what? <laughs> There's no embellishing there whatsoever. Um, but what would happen? She'd say no and run. Because she doesn't know me. And I wasn't pursuing her out of knowledge of her, knowing her, but knowledge about her in this scenario where I got to reappear as 21-year-old Martin. So we are not talking about knowing about God, but actually knowing God. That's what the really means, right? Can we have something that could be a personal relationship with our God? Is God really knowable that way? And the answer is yes. I'm coming out swimming, swinging today, all right? None of this building up to the point. It's like, no, the answer is yes. We can really know God. How do we know that? Because the Bible says so. As we, John, Pastor John talked about last week and its reliability, it is God's word to us. And the Bible, in the Bible, he says that we can know him. A kind of knowing, a relationship that is intimate. You know, and that's utterly unique in all world religions. In Islam, Muslims cannot have a relationship with Allah. There is no connection between them and it is all obedience. Or in Buddhism, there is no God to have relationship with. And so, I want you to think, as you listen to, the, to this sermon, how utterly unique we are as we think about this, as our God has revealed himself as one whom we can have relationship with. Uh, just almost everything I pulled for today's message comes out of J.I. Packer's excellent book, Knowing God. I say at the bottom that you can borrow my signed copy I've changed my mind. Go get it downstairs or order it from Amazon. Mine is too precious to me. But, leading off with Packer's quote, I ask you for a moment to stop your ears to those who tell you there is no road to knowledge about God and come a little way with me and see. After all, the proof of the pudding is in the eating and anyone who is actually following a recognized road will not be too worried if he hears non-travelers telling each other that no such road exists exists. So this first point of today's message, we were created to know God, but our sin broke the relationship. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 actually gives us a great way to understand this knowing God. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so this passage tells us three things. One, that what doesn't delight God, but the second, that God delights in us understanding Him, but third, that God delights in us knowing Him. See, what does He not delight in? Strength, Wisdom, wealth, might, these are not worthy of boasting of. 
These aren't the things that he held on us as priorities. But he delights in what? That we understand him, which is only possible if he has made himself understandable to us. Again, it's like trying to pour an ocean into a thimble. Unless he reveals himself to us, we can't understand him. But that is what he does, and he delights in our understanding of him. And in fact, he made us this way. He created us this way. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In all creation, mankind is uniquely made. Everything else is fantastic and wonderful. Biological life or just, just celestial bodies. But only humanity is made in his image. And he made us that way deliberately that we might have relationship with him. And we can understand this concept, at least in little drips and drabs, with babies. What do we do with them? You do baby talk for a little while, but then you get sick of it because it's stupid. And then you just talk to them. It doesn't matter what age they are and that just they don't understand. You talk to them because you know one day they will understand. All right? Because they are in your image. All right? But we do this with animals too, with pets. All right? Because, you know, just uh, what do you do with dogs? You pour affection on and then you receive that affection back. In some way, in some created way, we are almost trying to create animals in our image. All right? Some people want, you know, good junkyard guard dogs. Some people want nice, you know, just fuzzy lap dogs. Rebecca Forster loves rats. I don't understand this, but she loves rats. And so every night in her New York City apartment, she would get a visit from the apartment rat. Mouse, rodentia, all right? So, and she just, she delighted in the appearing every night of that mouse. Because that's what a good house guest does, appears before going to sleep, right? Thankfully, Steve does not share such a love of rodents, and so there was an end to that mouse one day. But we understand that we treat these things all right, because we want them. We want relationship with them. How much more that God, he created us in his image and then condescends from heaven and kneels as an adult, kneeling down to a child and speaking, lisping in baby talk to us to have relationship with us. And this expectation, since we are made in His image, there is expectation that He puts on us. Isaiah 40, 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, Psalm 100 and uh, verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And Romans 1 says that God, His, His awareness of Him, knowledge of Him is indisputable. No one can argue against this. He has revealed that He is creator and expects us to understand Him in that way. But, and this is wonderful. Jeremiah 9, 
23 and 24 says so much better than this. Not just that we can understand Him, but He delights that we know Him. Remember that difference of just knowing Him from, a, just a, from reading something and having relationship with Him. It's not enough just to, under, to understand Him, to have a philosophical opinion about God, but to have intimate relationship. This is the call of God to be personal. In fact, this is, this is what was exactly intended in Genesis 1.27. In the createdness of Adam. Adam was, in one sense, the created son of God, meant to have relationship. What did they do before sin? God walked in the garden with them, talking. And so, in the rest of Scripture, we see this as well. Jeremiah 1.5, he speaks of the prophet, but he's certainly speaking of all of us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. But then it goes backward. And after so many miracles, God says, I'm going to do this, whether it's manna from heaven or quails from the sky or deliverance from Egypt, the land of slavery. And he follows up, says, I then you shall know, you shall know, we shall know that I, the Lord, am your God. Your, that personal pronoun, your. And so we see that the Westminster Shorter Catechism is absolutely correct with question one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To know Him and to love Him. That's what we were made for. And if that were the end of it, then we could just pack up. You've got your answer. You can know God. Let's go and be happy. But we know that's not the end of this story because there was a horrible twist that happened. Sin, that monkey wrench, which just ruined us. At this church, we call sin treason against God. It's not like breaking the speed limit, you know, a law that just makes no sense and there are no consequences except maybe a ticket if you get caught. Treason against God, where God called His creature, made in His image, loved and adored, to have relationship with Him. And that creature chose to have relationship with another. Sounds like adultery, doesn't it? And yet it's even more than that. As close as a husband and wife can be to each other, how much more creator and his creature and so that sin broke all relationships and all intimacy between God and man and even man and woman they had to clothe themselves from that point on shame barring their intimacy now so all things all sad things we experience can be traced to that origin when we chose to have another relationship instead of our relationship with God Romans 1.21 describes it this way, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We still know that God is God. All creation cries out that He is the Creator, but we reject the knowledge of God. We rejected relationship with God. We messed things up, and now, because of sin, we cannot... Know the God we need to know. And in fact, everything that we do that tries to bridge that gap ends in failure. 
The builders of the Tower of Babel, they didn't want to be separated. They didn't, they, actually, they just didn't want to be flooded anymore. And they started building a tower to God. That didn't work out so well for them. Or the Israelites, after God miraculously rescued them from, Israel, from Egypt from the, with the Red Sea crossing, and then Moses just is gone for like a little over a month. The Israelites go to his brother Aaron and says, they say, we don't know where Moses is, and we're freaking out. So make us an idol of our God. Make us an idol of the God who rescued us. So in one sense, they wanted to worship the God who rescued them, right? But they wanted to worship him on their terms. And they made a gold bull. The Bible says gold calf. It's like a, a bull makes more sense, right? Calf, veal, tasty. Bull, strong, run, right? And so you want your God to be just a strong God so that you don't ever run anymore as a people. And that didn't work out so well for them. And every time that we establish something that we want to have relationship with to fill that gap that we were created to have in our hearts, it fails. How do we do this today? If you are, you know, just remembering our seven deadly sins uh, uh, sermon series. If you're a glutton, I don't know if I'm a glutton as I think about all this food, but if you are a glutton or have gluttonous tendencies, you are seeking relationship with food. Or if you worry about something, you actually have worry, a relationship with your worry and that which you're worrying about. How's that working out for you? Whenever we try to set up a relationship with God on our terms, it will fail. Because we are trying to set the rules when in fact He created us and He created the rules. So we have a problem. What can be done? It's, it's like this. We were made to breathe air, but somehow we just landed ourselves in outer space without a suit. And we're gasping because we need what we cannot have to live. What can, we, what can be done if we can't do anything? And in point two, Jesus tells us he has come to solve this problem. Jesus Christ, the Son, perfectly knows the Father and gives us the relationship only he deserves. What does he tell us about this? He tells us he alone knows the true God. That he tells, and he tells us, he brings us to know the true God and he brings us into deep relationship with that God. See, Jesus alone knows the true God. He becomes incarnate, all right? So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. But he becomes incarnate to show us God, to tell us about him, and to fix things, to fix this broken relationship, not just to be an example. What good is it if Jesus, the Son of God, comes to be an example for us? It's like the sun in the sky teaching us how to shine. Jesus doesn't keep that knowledge of God to himself, but he brings us to know the true God. He reveals the true God. This is how he gets the delight we were talking about in Jeremiah 9. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is saying, now we're in. Now we know. 
Kind of like, you know, just, if you, have you ever been a, the friend of a friend of a famous person? All right? So we're in. Jesus knows God, and we know Jesus. But it gets better. John 15, 13. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, in this age of Facebook friends and Twitter followers, the word friend is almost useless. But when Jesus Christ calls you friend, take that to the bank. Because he shows you what being a friend is about. But then he gets even deeper into this. When Jesus spoke these words, John 17, 1, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now underline verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This eternal life is not just living forever with no pain, no sickness, no poverty, no aging, no cancer, no hunger. Eternal life is explained in this simplest, clear term. It is knowing God. And Jesus Christ says we can know God if we know Him. This is what Christ came to do. And as if it could get any better, See, he's expanding this depth of relationship, isn't he? Jesus is not inviting us to know about him. But being, and just any more than Christ, being Christian is just about being able to recite the Apostles' Creed. It is knowing Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He brings us into relationship with his Father. He bring, draws us into relationship with the Father. And so this restoration, John told me this yesterday, this restoration to sonship is the restoration to the original plan. This is what Adam and Eve were supposed to have. Adam, the first son, the created son, Jesus brings to us as the only begotten, not, not created son, to have intimacy with God. No one has ever seen God, John 1.18, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. How do we see this? In Matthew 6.9, when the disciples asked, Teacher, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. You know, if you've heard me preach before, chances are you've heard me make a big deal about this. Because Jesus could have said, just as easily, my Father in heaven. And he would have been absolutely true. He is the true Son. That is his Father. And he would have left us completely shut out. Because make sense of this. My Father is not your Father. 
You are not going to call Muhan at 908-654-6567 and say, hey, dad, how you doing? Because he's not your dad. He's my dad. And I get to do that. But Jesus Christ does something so mind-blowingly beautiful. He invites us to call his father our father. And so if God is our father, what does that make us? Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I don't want to offend you, sisters. The word, the use of the word sons is deliberate here. Because in the ancient world, and lots of still times in uh, places in the world today, it was only sons that inherited wealth. And Paul is saying this is not how God treats us. God treats us equally. We are all inheritors of the one, the grace, the true grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so because you are sons, if God is your father, you are children of God. And you are able to cry, Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. So wait, then if God is our father and we are his children, what does that make Jesus? Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. If you're still asking the question, can we really know God? The reply is, know him. Your family. But how did this transition happen? Going from darkened in our minds, futile in our thoughts, to being the adored, cherished children of God who call on him. And it is because our truest, eldest brother, Jesus Christ, who knew God, who knew the Father's adoration, His love, was in eternal communication and relationship with Him, went to the cross that we deserve, where we should have paid for our sins, and experienced no adoration, no love, no relationship, and Jesus Christ was the one who suffered. Jesus Christ was the one who endured no love, on the cross, no adoration, no favor, no relationship other than with God as judge. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we, the undeserving, could get credit for everything he deserved so that we could get the love, the Father's love, His adoration, that cherishing, so that we would never be forsaken. This is our Savior. You see, we don't know an esoteric God, an abstract concept, but we have a relationship with one who is not just our creator and judge, but who has also shown him to be, Himself to be our Father, and the Son of God, Christ, who comes and shows Himself to be our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, our brother. 
And it just it doesn't even end there. And he sends his Holy Spirit to be our comforter, our counselor. And do you know how close Christians get to be to their God? The Holy Spirit is not just hovering above like some satellite. He's not just even hanging above us, just near term, arm's length. But he comes and dwells within us, making our hearts his home. Not much of a home, but he's committed to fixer-uppers. This is our God. And so, knowing this, knowing that God is our Father, and the Son is our brother, and the Holy Spirit indwells within us, how then shall we live? J.I. Packer, to the question, what, a, what is a Christian, says, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. Father has become God's covenant name. So what do you do with the father you love? With a brother who gave up everything for you? And whether you had a loving family or not, listen up, here's what you do. You engage deeply in relationship with that family. You communicate often, eating and talking at the breakfast table, texting and emailing throughout the day, regathering at the dinner table. And then at family worship at night, you take vacations together, you do fun things together, you endure hard things together, you learn together, you mourn together, you live life together. How much more are we called to live together with our God? This is Pastor John's favorite verse in the Bible. Totally serious. That's his thing, right? Me, I, when I say favorite, I mean favorite. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A young John, a young John Yenshko, upon discovering Jesus Christ, as Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. You can see how he would take this as his favorite verse. Maybe we all should. To daily have the resolve to know Jesus Christ and nothing but Jesus. To live out all of life in light of that knowledge. That relationship. To pray Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. See, Paul in Philippians 3 says, everything that I gloried in, all those riches and wealth and wisdom and power, are crap. And I give it all up so that I may know Christ, be found in Him, and know Him in the power of His resurrection, that I'm, and share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, for the child of God, for the brother or sister of Jesus, for the home of the Holy Spirit, you and I, we are called to live with our God and together with each other. You know, some of you are wonderful, beautiful products of adoption. 
And some of you in our church have done the wonderful thing in business of adopting children who were not your own to make them your own. And maybe you know a little bit more clearly than the rest of us how every day you have to forge that relationship. You have to make that association that was not there happen and real and tangible so that blood or not, the child recognizes and understands he or she is your child. And we have seen what our God has done to make this reality true for us. Our job is to live in light of that truth. You know, when I was in the military, I was a terrible son and brother. There would be months, months would go by where I would not call my parents. There was one time that my parents called up the base asking to, to talk with me because they thought I had died or something. How, how long do you have to go where your parents go to the place where they think you're dead, right? And I forgot who I belonged to, the family that I belonged in. And so the relationships suffered as a result of that. My brothers grew to not count on my counsel so, and my affection, all right? And they found other things. My parents, we just got into lots of fights because everything was just in the shadow of not having built up and renewed the relationship. But thank God that I have forgiving parents and our relationship is as good as it's ever been. And there's the redemptive reality. We are restored we have intimate relationship with our God. Live in light of that. Don't let the lines go cold. C.S. Lewis calls this the business of heaven. To every morning, remember this truth. That we are children of God. So how do you handle the hard things that happen to you in this life? How do you handle the good and wonderful things that happen to you in this life? See, when you're living in light of the knowledge of God, that you know Him, then nothing comes that is so hard that it is not already overcome by the fact that you are a child of God. And there is nothing ever that comes that's so good that could ever eclipse the goodness of knowing that you are His child. Packer says, I am a child of God. God is my Father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning, last thing at night. As you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. Do you do this? Do you want this? You can have this. The Holy Spirit is in you wanting to help you have this. See, the comfort and the counsel that Jesus Christ said that Holy Spirit would bring is there to give you reminders of this. And how do we do this for each other? Philippians 2.5, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Do you come to church to be surrounded by safe and nice people? C.S. Lewis says that God did not do all this for us to make us nice, but to make us new. Let us gather to help remind each other of this truth and the newness that we have.
as children of God. You know, I pray with Abby every morning before I drop her off at school in the car. You know, just and we pray that she focuses, that she listens to her teacher, respects and obeys her, that she's kind and not distracting to her classmates. But we always end the prayer the same way. Help her to remember, Father, that she is your child, that you are her heavenly Father because of what Christ Jesus has done. Holy Spirit, help her remember this. It's like that scene in Lion King when Mufasa appeared in the clouds to Simba, saying, remember who you are. Remember, pray that every day for yourself and for others. Close this way. Packer says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. That's what John says every time with that bicycle wheel. Are you struggling in life? I struggle. Most days I'm so busy, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I get sad to just where I want, just want to cry. But when I remember that I'm a child of God and that my father sent his son to be my brother and, that, and sent his spirit into my heart so that I'll never forget, you know, I may still be busy and sad, but I know that joy is on the horizon. Let us pray. Father, I hope that word takes just greater meaning and daily ever greater and increasing meaning to us that you have said that we can call you our Father closer than any earthly parent. And you have shown us that you, your great love for us, that you have lavished on us as you have sent Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, that we might be your children. Help us to turn to the Holy Spirit every day, saying, Spirit, remind me, remind me of whose I am. Thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise and let us sing of God's great love for us.